0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Folks, I'll invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Kind of another challenging, hard, difficult message, not only to hear, but to preach this week. Things will get a little bit softer and fluffier next week, all right? Um, we'll work towards that. It's going to be a really good, encouraging uh, outlook next week on, on how, we, how we enjoy the fruits of our labor in this life. It will be a wonderful uh, reminder to us. As we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 beginning in verse 18 and through verses 23, I don't know where people are going to hear this material today unless they're in the church, unless they're, they're uh, uh, being taught principles from the Bible. You just aren't going to hear it uh, out there anywhere. Uh, we talk about a work ethic and a requirement in order to, in order to provide not only for ourselves, but to not become a burden for others. This passage is going to need to benefit from a couple disclaimers before I begin. Uh, the implications of leaving behind a large inheritance, a large estate, is something I have not previously addressed here, uh, for I have not had the, the right passage. Uh, we are there today. This is a good passage for it. And I realize this topic, for some people, gets real sensitive. Handling the Lord's money, right? Gets sensitive. So before I begin, the pastors here at Port St. Lucie Bible Church are not estate planners. We we are not. I imagine if my parents' pastor had paid them a visit to to determine their future estate, uh, my siblings and I would have been a bit upset over that. Uh, A pastor is to faithfully proclaim Scripture in truth. Uh, not decide people's estates. I also do not know what any person at this church earns, and I do not want to know. The only salaries that are published here are the pastor's salaries, and I guess with the number of charlatans that are going around today, that's not a bad thing, um, as people are always looking to rob Christ's flock. Uh, I don't have a problem with that, but I don't want to know your salary. And about every six months or so, For the benefit of new visitors who haven't been here for a while, I like to affirm that the church leadership makes no attempt to track the giving of anyone here. Uh, No attempt to track what individuals should give or for them to discern what God would suggest for your income is cheerful and generous. That is something that you have to decide on your own. Uh, God watches you, uh, we don't. Uh, I may, from time to time, become aware of a special donation for a special project. When we redid the bathrooms last spring, I became aware of someone who gave money towards that. Sometimes people request guidance. Uh, but I, I myself probably would never attend a church where, where the pastor tracks giving when I give. Honestly, when I give, and if there's an opportunity to give generously, I really don't want to wonder when I'm talking to the pastor whether he has a piece of lint in his eye or if he's giving me a wink of approval. It's just just uncomfortable, just uncomfortable. So we we don't go there here. Uh, It's between you and the Lord. I believe the only time that I've ever really felt a need to ask our treasurer about giving is once, and it was years ago. Uh, there was a couple that wasn't walking in harmony. That they weren't uh, fulfilling portions of their uh, covenant and attendance and, and other things. And, and I think I believe I asked Mary beforehand. You know, has their giving pattern changed when we were going to meet with them and ask them what's up? You know, any change in their giving pattern? And I, I never asked how much. And, and yes, it it had changed from being very routine to to deceased. I mean, that's so it's like yeah, just. You know, these are some things we can discuss. How you manage money is your responsibility, as well as the places where you choose to give it. We strive uh, to preserve a church where people want to be part of what we're doing, the, work, the kingdom work that we are doing. And this Tuesday, the elders will discuss our first quarter's uh, disbursement for the church to impoverish Christians abroad. So you can be in prayer for that as we discuss the opportunities that are there. Uh, We look forward to providing this membership a report at the March meeting. It's exciting. It is exciting. We announced it as we paid off the debt on the building that we would be able to relieve the suffering of some of the poorest people around the globe. So that is really great stuff. Um, I also strive to practice what I preach concerning inheritance Uh, when I left the farm back in the 1980s. Uh, my parents had very little, had very, very little. Uh, yet when after all of us kids, all six of us were gone, we were on our own and established, and after mom and dad had spent 50 years together, they were able to uh, save a modest retirement. Then, then years later, they became devout Christians. In their 70s, at the end of their life, they became very devout Therefore, they asked me, as a Christian minister, and, and as their son, what should they do with their surplus? And my advice to my own parents was this. Give as much to the work of Christ that you can today, that you can now, without leaving yourselves at risk of becoming vulnerable. And not having enough to provide for yourself. Now think about that. Why would I do that? Why would I do that as an heir? It's because I love my parents enough to want to see them generously rewarded when Christ comes. Want them to be rewarded for cheerfully and generously giving. Their Lord, my parents, Lord and Savior said, uh, Be generous, store up treasure in heaven. And therefore, I wanted my own parents to send as much investment ahead as possible without leaving themselves in harm's way of not having enough to care for their own needs. There are retirement tools. Uh, there are there are websites that can project. Uh, but since we don't know when we're going to die, it's hard to give it all away, right? It's hard to give it all away. Uh, the pastor who married Rita and I, uh, I remember this well, he... Uh, this was before we were married. I, I, I wouldn't become a believer for years later. But I remember this. I remember this. He held up a dollar and he said on the topic of giving, my preference would be to give my last dollar to the kingdom of Christ on my last day on earth. I remember that still today. I wasn't even a believer then. Um, he said the problem is I don't know what my last day is going to be. I don't know when that will be. So he was acknowledging then, uh, though, though his heart longed to be generous, he was acknowledging it is prudent to hold something back as well. Due to this need to hold some back, at, at the end, my mom was last one to, to pass on. Uh, due to this, she still left her six children more than she needed to. She, she didn't need to leave anything for us. We were adult and on our own and established. But when that estate was divided, did I make off with of my portion? Oh, like a bandit. Yeah, like a bandit. I know our parents loved to bless us as well. But I loved my parents. I, I love Christ's church. I, I, I want you to enjoy the fruits of your labor here in this life, as we'll discuss next week. Um, it's your money. It's your money. It is godly to enjoy it properly. Um, At the same time, I I want to see everyone rewarded. I want to see the kingdom of Christ expanded. I want to see the Lord's work uh, accomplished through our lives and around the globe. So please, wherever you decide to give, obey Christ, store up your treasure in heaven. What I don't want you to do what I don't want any of us to do is what Solomon has done. All right, And this is what our message concerns today. Solomon despairs because he has discovered there is no way for him to enjoy the fruit of his labor, both here under the sun and later beyond the sun. He has built a massive... Estate on earth that is not easily liquidated. All right? Palaces, uh, things like that, they're, they're hard to sell at the last minute when you're in Israel, okay? He had built all of this wealth, this massive estate that wasn't easily liquidated to care uh, for things of God's kingdom. So he was going to leave it behind. To someone else who had never lifted a finger to build it. All right? This is where he's at in verse 18. And he says this Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor. For which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun, this too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to the one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all of his labor and his, in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, uh, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too, Solomon says, is vanity. I'm going to keep reading a couple verses. This will be our passage next week. Provide some balance here. There is nothing better, says Solomon, for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is given, uh, who is good in his sight he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight, This too is vanity and striving after the win. Well, Solomon, he's facing a similar dilemma as the rich landowner in Jesus' parable of Luke chapter 12. We studied that over a couple of years ago in Luke chapter 12. There in verse 20, there is a farmer and he has filled massive barns. Massive barns under the sun. That means on earth. He's filled barns under the sun, and he has much wealth stored in them. But on the day of his retirement, this farmer's retirement now, God said this, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Sound a lot like Solomon's situation? Jesus said... So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom." And all these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes nor, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Very very similar passage to the Old Testament. So if we have any questions about Solomon and his view of the afterlife and and what that would uh, what that would hold, uh, it is a little unclear exactly where Solomon was in this. But it's not unclear where Jesus is. We know where the te- New Testament lands on this, and it helps the New Testament sheds light and helps to explain the principles of the Old Testament in the fullness of the revelation of Scripture. Like all the gold that was left in King Tut's tomb, lots of it, Uh, like the rich farmer who had filled barns with all kinds of wealth, uh, or Solomon, or you, or me, we can't transfer the wealth after we died. It goes into somebody else's uh, uh, under their uh, instruction. We must, and this is through an act of faith, all right? We must, through an act of faith that God will continue to provide for us, Jesus says, do not worry, we have to send as much of it ahead as we can before we die. That's, that's the hard part because it's an act of faith. But like the farmer, Solomon has discerned that that he's going to leave all of his wealth, virtually all of his wealth, to somebody else under the sun. He's going to leave it behind under the sun. And for this reason, Solomon says in verse 12, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me, And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. You know, it it is vanity to toil hard all of your life and then leave it as a massive estate behind. Think, Think about that. That is crazy. And I think Solomon, you know, he never, never got the opportunity to sit in his recliner and, and crack a Dr. Pepper and enjoy some of it. It was all work. It was all work towards the end. He's looking back, and uh, uh, he never enjoyed life a little bit. And that's what we'll talk about next week, as I mentioned. Solomon, therefore, concludes, he has toiled, he has built big, really big. And he says, if this is all there is, if this is it under the sun, just really work hard, toil, leave the treasure behind. If that's all this life is, then the concept of labor is it's just asinine. If you're going to work your fingers to the bone and leave it all here. He built. The next generation will find a way to blow it. Well you wouldn't believe how many times... We, we saw that cycle repeat itself in, in farm country where I grew up. You would have a, a, a dad or maybe a combination of, of a dad with granddad in one generation who would work, 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 toil uh, all of their lives in, in order to pay off the land, to pay off the machinery, uh, work incredibly hard... And then leave it to Junior, who never lifted a finger for any of it. It is very common in many different industries uh, that uh, because Junior didn't experience that that really high cost, those input costs of labor, never really had to experience uh, what the price was, what the price of work was, Uh, he'd blow it in a few short years, just blow what dad or granddad had earned. Generally... Generally, so I'm saying uh, heirs, uh, heirs in an estate cannot quantitate the value of the sweat off their parents' brow, they, they just really can't see how hard uh, the previous generation had to work in, in order to get where they were. Your own hands, your own hands have to earn the paycheck, Solomon. He's going to make that point in just a couple more verses. But notice first how Solomon's disgust with the situation. It's not directly linked to the integrity of his heir. It would be a mistake for us to conclude that Solomon here is only talking about Rehoboam. His son whom we know, uh, history records, really, really was a fool in the end, right? Uh, um, it would be a mistake for us to conclude that he knows that Rehoboam is immature and, and kind of foolish in so many ways, so he really dislikes the idea of leaving it to him. Well, if we, have, uh, if we failed to observe this text closely, we might only presume Solomon doesn't like the idea of leaving this to Rehoboam. Uh, we would say, you know, but if, if, his, if his son were only wiser... If his son were only uh, nicer, if his son were only more responsible, then maybe we would say, leaving the estate behind, maybe then it would be all good in Solomon's soul. But that's not what it says. Scripture is far too wise uh, for us to to make that conclusion on our own. Have you ever noticed, uh, since Gerald brought up chess, have you ever noticed how the Bible, when we're reading it, the Bible is always three chess moves ahead of us. It knows where our flesh is going, and it he just cuts it off right there before you're about to make your move. So we have here. Solomon asks, "Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool?" So, so Solomon he jettisons any attachment to the moral implications. His despair is not tied. conditionally to any moral lapse of his heir. So, so the heir's integrity, whether it would be good or bad, wise or foolish, that's that just wiped, those, those chess pieces are wiped clean off the table. That's not Solomon's lament. His lament is that he's leaving the fruit of his labor behind under the sun. We're going to notice in verse 21 Regardless of whether the heir will be wise or a fool, the problem is, here's the problem, he or she did not labor for it. They did not earn it. It is not theirs. Solomon insists this is not only vanity. If you look at the text there in verse 21, what does he call it? I think every translation... I looked at most English translations. Everyone says the same thing. What does Solomon call this? A great evil. A great evil. Folks, that, that is strong language. Strong language. Solomon realizes in verse 19, I am the one who has labored and acted wisely under the sun. In verse 21, I am the man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. But now I will have to leave behind my legacy, uh, your estate. Your your translation might say your portion. Uh, Now I'll have to leave behind my portion to the one who has not labored with me. They haven't labored with him. Yet he'll have control over it. Now where there's dominion, he will have dominion over all of the fruit of my labor, says Solomon. That's what he considers evil. It's an evil thing to him. Uh, Therefore, in verse 20, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. And verse 22, for what does a man get in all of his labor and and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? I'll tell you what he gets. He gets a bad back, wore out knees, high blood pressure, black lung, that's what you get from laboring diligently under the sun because all of his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Add in there the businessman who can never get a decent night's rest. Not just the coal miner who gets black long, The businessman can't rest either. All of his life, this picture of toil and hardship. Now, don't just quit your job yet, all right? Don't resign by text. Hold on. Next Sunday, we're going to learn that our labor is good. It's wonderful to have labor. uh, uh, Even under the sun, even on earth, it's good. We can all experience much satisfaction through our labor. I know Rita and I do. We love to work. Uh, It's great to be able to earn, all right? We'll be there. But what rationale? What rationale is there in ruining our health to build massive estates if all we're going to do is leave the whole thing behind? Is that crazy or what? Think about it. It's insanity. And to somebody else who... Who hasn't even labored for it? Somebody else who hasn't labored alongside of us? Solomon says, that's a great evil. That is a great evil. Why? Well, here's one reason why. It's evil because of what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. There the apostle Paul left Christ's church with this command. Here it is. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Now, folks, that is God's wisdom right there. That is justice. That is righteousness. You labor, you eat your own bread. Where are you going to hear that in America today? Not in many places. But that's what God's word says. The church in Thessalonica it had some good things going for it. It did. Paul commends them in many ways. But but there were a there was there were a few who were there, apparently, who thought maybe they could coast through life, coast through life easily, taking advantage of the toil and hardship of others. We know it was endemic because Paul had to confront the same issue in 1 Thessalonians, his first letter to them as well. There he wrote in chapter 4, verse 12, "...make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business." And work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. You work hard and diligently so you don't become a burden to others. Folks, communal living, the concept of communal living, it's unbiblical. It is unbiblical. It always lends to laziness. Gerald was the history teacher in school. uh, Told me a few things about the Pilgrims. Even they tried it. It didn't work. You've always got some people there when they're eating somebody else's bread. They forget how to work. Just slips the mind. It's just something. Just kind of just goes away. I can eat without having to work. Always lends to laziness, Uh, folks. This is a call to personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Apparently they didn't heed Paul's first warning. So Paul had to address the problem again and with much stronger language in Second Thessalonians in his second letter where he says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, think of the authority with which he makes this statement, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we didn't have the right to do this as apostles and of ministers of Christ, but in order, Paul says, to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. That's the reason. Some, some were were undisciplined; they were unwilling to work. Uh, I, I said during the scripture reading, very careful here, and scripture again, it just just uh, uh, ties all the bows perfectly. Notice Paul did not apply this command. For those who are mentally or physically disabled, those who are unable to work, to those we are to show uh, mercy and, and compassion and kindness. Paul specifically addresses those who are unwilling to work. They're acting like busybodies. They were acting like they would work. To these he says, neither shall you eat. Well, that's a pretty firm command. Pretty firm command. He says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. That, that is powerful. That is powerful. Why is work so important? Why is it so important? Well, you know, historically, you might not remember, some of you might not have ever heard this. right? Follow with me here, this is deep. Historically, in America, we used to refer to the eagerness to work, someone's eagerness to work as a work ethic. A work ethic. It is not morally right for someone who is physically able for them to lay at home and expect somebody else to pay their way. It's morally wrong. Moral ethics, they they also contribute uh, the principles of moral ethics also contribute to our biblical obligation as Christians. To be generous. To be ready to share. You have to work in order to share. Can't share if you don't work. There are many who are destitute. Many who, who are in dire need. uh, There are impoverished people around the world who need help. Christians, those who have been bought and purchased by the blood of Christ, living on less than a dollar a day, trying to find a way to provide for their children. Um, we, We can't help others if we don't work. See the moral problem there? If we're unwilling to get up in the morning, We can't help other people who are unable to work. Uh, Labor is a moral imperative. To work is a moral issue. We we seem to, as Christians, we almost always go to things like sexual immorality and and other things that we want to point at right away. Uh, We don't often enough come back to just our moral obligation to work and provide for ourselves. In addition, healthy adults... Otherwise healthy adults who sit at home and, and perpetually, uh, when they sit at home perpetually, they become susceptible to vices. When they're not getting up and going to work, they're susceptible to vices that they shouldn't be. Too much time on our hands. Somebody sang a song about that once. Sticks? Yeah. Too much time on our hands lends to creating sinful ways to dispose of that time. Sexual immorality, gossip, pornography, alcohol, drugs. Things to feel the time that we're not working. person who toils hard. A person who gets up early and works all day. They've got less vigor left over at the end of the day, right? Less vigor to pursue sin at the end of the day. Labor is almost always related to Morality. But it's also an emotional concern. Many of us here know that. Many of us. It's an emotional concern. A job provides emotional stability, dignity, earning, let's just say, earning makes you feel good. Makes you feel good, makes you useful. A healthy person who's remained, and this happens in different economies, a healthy person who has remained unemployed for a long period of time Boy, that's challenging. That's emotionally detrimental. That's, that's hard for anyone. But when, when you deposit that hard-earned paycheck, when, you, when you've got some blisters on your hands and you've worked hard, and you get to deposit that check, uh, a working man's dollar, in whatever trade you're in, folks, there is an accompanying experience of joy, of fulfillment of value, of self-reliance, of independence. There are a few things that contribute to emotional uh, stability and happiness over a lifetime than labor. Just being able to work every day in labor and be productive. A compulsory workforce, it undergirds a stable economy. This is very important. You can't distribute perpetually. We, we all know there are different situations that come. We're, we've been in one now for, for coronavirus and other things. But you can't distribute free money in the absence of a product being produced for that money. It, it eventually causes inflation for product. Idle hands result in less product in the marketplace. The free money drives up the prices for those Fewer products that are being produced, all right? High schools used to teach this. It was a a class that was called economics. Anybody ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah, the value of work. It's it's, it's economics. We used to learn this in school. It, It probably didn't meet the common core, I'm guessing. I don't know. I don't keep up with that. Probably not in the common core. It's because Washington probably doesn't want us seeing what they're doing. You don't want people asking questions. Everyone who can, and not all can, everyone who can must work. It's one reason that during the the Great Depression, 1930s, called them the Dirty 30s, that Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal, it hired unemployed people to create things that were beneficial to society. Dams, bridges, highways, things that benefited the nation. It it was not, this may sound harsh, but it is not. it, It was not designed to pay people to stay at home all day, to watch videos, drink beer, and fornicate. That is not an acceptable way to help people out. It doesn't help anyone out. Folks, socialism... Just giving to everyone equal, regardless of what they do, it's evil. It is evil. It removes the motive to work. The distribution of free money without any, any labor attached to it, to someone who's just unwilling to wake up and work every morning, it's destructive to a culture. It, it's unethical. It's emotional damaging for the For the individual themselves, folks, it is sin. It is sin. And due to these just clear biblical principles, and it just all makes common sense. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 this is right. We we rarely ever hear this. Got to go to the Bible to get it. But due to these clear biblical principles, moral ethics, um, individual productivity, responsibility, self-reliance, which is important. Um, emotional health, equally important. Personal dignity through work. Economic stability. Because of these, Christians are not generally fond of programs where government payments go to otherwise healthy adults who are unwilling to wake up and work each morning. It's almost all, always harmful. Almost always, always harmful to supplement people in a way where they won't have to wake up and labor and work. There should be a beneficial product that is produced in exchange for every earned paycheck. I believe 8 or 9 out of 10 here would probably agree under most circumstances. You go through crises and other things that are unforeseen, but under most circumstances, I believe most would agree. Is everybody buying into this? Oh, you stepped right into my net. So, this, this will seem mean, but I'll do it anyway. So, you and I will also acknowledge then, because of the need to work, because of the, the emotional stability and, and all of these things that are beneficial through it, you and I would probably also acknowledge then the inconsistency that would be present with any very wealthy or affluent individual who complains about a political sentiment. Uh, system by the way that rewards idleness, money for nothing, but then makes the exact same error himself or herself by leaving a massive estate to heirs who never lifted a finger themselves to earn it either. Look at the inconsistency in that. We used to refer to that as hypocrisy going to complain about anybody else getting something for nothing. But then we practice it ourselves. Verse 21, When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his portion to the one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. If our heirs have not, through their own sweat and tears through their own work ethic, earned it, you and I are not scripturally obligated to leave it to them. It it has, in America, become really embarrassing how otherwise healthy adult children, otherwise perfectly healthy people, have squandered in idleness years of, of potential, years of productivity lost who then grovel for an inheritance, thinking that it's their elderly parents' responsibility somehow to provide them with a golden parachute. That's not healthy for anyone. Uh, Solomon might say that's a great evil. It's a great evil. It's evil when our resources earned in toil, which could have been used for our life and for scriptural preaching of the gospel and relieving the suffering of people who cannot work are, demand, uh, are demanded by those who are just habitually lab- uh, lazy, who, who will not work, unwilling to work at all to reach their own God-given potential. I told my own parents this. I was the youngest, and I was 48 at the time. Your children are all well-established in careers of their own, we have experienced many fruitful years of earning potential. If we've squandered it, it's our own fault. It's our own fault. Mom and dad, take care of your own necessities. Enjoy the fruit of your labor that you've worked hard for within biblical guidelines. And then give away as much as you can to the work of Christ well, the opportunity remains for you. Parents don't need to leave Barnesfield for somebody else who did not labor to earn it. You know, why would, a, why would someone who succeeded in, in software engineering for decades, who built up a huge estate, why would they leave it to a 60 year old skateboarder? Does that make any sense? It's God's money vanity. No wonder Solomon was so depressed. He he hadn't used his wealth for anything meaningful. Nothing that brought him satisfaction. Today your soul may be required of you. Any day could be our last. This could be your final chance. Wherever you give, wherever that would be, transfer your treasure to heaven where Jesus promises it will be there waiting for you when you arrive. That's the best I can do. A few caveats, alright? Before I ask the men to come and, and distribute the Lord's Supper, a few caveats. I believe Scripture advises us to save some. Dave Ramsey offers some great principles that are biblical, and our, and our children are learning them in youth group now. Some great principles there. Um, stay out of debt. Save for retirement. Uh, diversify your savings. Uh, build an emergency fund. These are, these are great principles. They're valid principles. But as I stated clearly when we studied Luke 12, his mantra, save like nobody else today so that you can give like nobody else tomorrow, that is completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. Jesus warns that you and I don't have any assurance of tomorrow. Jesus says, give today before it is too late. We give today out of faith. Ramsey shares some good principles. I don't want to pick on them, but we do need to be biblically discerning. We really, really do. Um, Compare it to Scripture, chew the meat, spit out the bones. Second, someone might say this. Well, but I, bought, I thought Proverbs 13, verse 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In fact, I think Ramsey might have used that at one point or not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's scriptural, right? That's what the Bible says. If you're meaning a financial inheritance, no. No. Leaving huge wads of money is not what Proverbs teaches or what Jesus teaches. Uh, it's just basic biblical discernment to recognize that Scripture does not assign a person's morality to how much money they leave behind. Well, in a way it does if you leave too much behind. But it doesn't attach leaving money behind with that being a good person. There's another interpretation for that Proverbs. And uh, that was the proverb that was quoted to me. I mentioned last week uh, when I was doing ministry in the state capital of North Dakota to, to lawmakers. Years ago, man who was very financially successful... He decided that he could hang his hat on that one verse. Hang his hat on that and ignore everything else that Christ and the rest of the Bible say about money and and therefore he would be able to to hold on to most of his money his entire life and then leave it for his children and grandchildren and still maintain Christian integrity. Yeah, no. No. That's not what it says. When When interpreting Hebrew poetry, we must at minimum compare... The two, or sometimes there's three lines in it, and compare them with one another to discover the Proverbs' actual meaning. Sometimes a proverb is a comparison, comparing two lines to another. Sometimes it is a contrast. Proverbs 13.22 is a contrast, and we will look at that next week. It actually plays into our, uh, it's actually a, uh, a good supplement to our passage next week. But it's never a Christian prerogative to store up gobs of money for ourselves and for our children and for our children's children. Jesus would say, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and store up your treasure in heaven. Such a clear, such a clear, uh, just first, wor- first world problems, huh? Man, we got it rough. What to do with all of, our, all of our wealth? Yeah, tough problems. Finally, now that some of the shock has worn off, it would relieve a little bit of that tension all right there are so many potential scenarios between you and your heirs there there is no way to establish one hard rule for for how to dispose of an of an estate someone might have a child with a birth defect that leaves him or her unable to work throughout their life and we know scripture says that he who does not take care of his own household is worse than an unbeliever right Even an unbeliever would realize you have to do that and provide for others. Sometimes an heir interrupts their own career in order to care for an aging family member, to take care of them and labor and and bless them in their later years. On other occasions, that heir uh, might become such an asset to the family business. We saw this in farming too, Uh, Parents would discover they could have never kept the family farm if that son or that daughter hadn't contributed uh, with their own labor to to be alongside with that family. Another family might build a hotel or a hotel chain and rely upon uh, their child to manage it in order to to provide uh, for the parents throughout their retirement. It might provide for employees of many very different ways. Um, sometimes parents and children labor alongside each other. Uh, you have to discern, uh, discern with all these for yourself what the Lord would have you do. That's your prerogative. Where you decide to leave your treasure, that is your call. Your call.